0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine, and um, just ask you to be, uh, you know, just tell you briefly. So our lead pastor, John Adams, is um, at, he and his wife Lizanne are um, at the baptism of three of their grandsons, um, and so they're there rejoicing in the faithfulness of God um, to their family. And then Pastor Mark is in, um, is up at our church plant in Dawsonville, Ascent Church, um, with, with another pastor, Mark Fowler, and just there um, supporting them this morning. And so just I'm thankful for these guys, thankful for the opportunity to work with them, but I'm thankful to be here this morning um, and excited to look to God's Word together. When you're excited about something, what do you want to do with that? What was that? Share it, share it right? Okay. When we get excited about something, we like to share it, right? Um, you know, that's, that's evident to me when I go on social media and someone has gotten engaged, you ever been on social media and see someone getting, has gotten engaged? That's exciting. They want to share that news. All right? And so it's, it's plastered everywhere um, and, and people, so that people can rejoice with them. Or, um, the, you know, the, the new thing, I say new, it's not really new anymore, but um, the gender reveal parties. I have seen so many different videos of gender reveal that i didn't i mean you people are creative like i don't know where y'all come up with this stuff um it's a it's a boy that's how I was okay uh, I was excited, but I'm like it's a boy all right here we go okay so uh <laughs> a lot a lot of energy in that um and, and we get excited and want to tell people you know it can be something silly like we want we want people to get excited about what's going on with our sports teams. I did that with my boys as the Braves were were um, just surprisingly making a run through the playoffs last year. It was like, boys, come here. We just constantly want to talk about it. Um, we do it when we hear somebody speak and we're like that that we really like and we want other people to hear. Um, we do it when we read a blog or a book. We want to share that with people. You get you get the point. Today, I want to tell you though that even though none of those things are bad at all. Um, Actually, they're all really good and encouraging, some more important than others. Um, But this morning, I want you to see that there is one that is completely worth taking our friends to. You know who it is. His name is Jesus. There's one completely worth taking our friends to. His name is Jesus. Jesus. We're beginning a series today um, that's going to look at several stories in the Gospel of Luke as we lead up to Easter. And so each week we'll we'll look at a different story in the Gospel of Luke. And as we do this, um, I want to set the context for you briefly. And you can see that, I'm not going to go to it, but you can turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Um, In Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you see the context. And what's happening here is that... um, Luke, who's actually a doctor, um, is going along with with Paul in his journeys, but he he writes the gospel of Luke. It tells us so that his friend or or a person in his life, Theophilus, so that he might know that the things that they're hearing, the the things they're being taught, the, the eyewitness accounts that they're hearing, that he might have certainty or confidence that those things are true. And so that's why he writes the gospel of Luke. And Luke, in a sense, is saying Jesus is the one worth bringing people to. So, what I want to do today is is look at the first story um, uh, for our our series, and that is in Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 17 through 26. And as you you turn there, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do things slightly different this morning than, than how I might normally do it. What we're going to do is we're going to read the passage, then I'm going to summarize the passage briefly. And then after I do so, we are going to look at our, our three points today are going to be how we understand and apply that passage, specifically our, the, the points themselves, are our application um, for the passage today. So if you will look at Luke chapter 5, and we will read beginning in verse 17. And again, I remind you, this is God's word. On one of those days, as he was teaching, that is Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus." He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So just to recap. There are three people or groups in this story in addition to Jesus. we have got the paralytic. You've got four friends. This passage doesn't say it was four, but we know that from Mark chapter two. Four friends. And then you have the Pharisees. And just to remind you who they are in case, in case you don't remember, the Pharisees um, are, are those who, had, who held the strict interpretation of the law. It was their life's mission to make sure Um, They knew the law and that everyone followed it. And then you had the scribes. Some of them were also Pharisees, but the scribes were those who had been taught. They were kind of like the doctors, um, the, the professors. They were the ones that had been taught the law and taught how to teach the law. And so you have the two of them together along with these four friends, along with the paralyzed man, and then there's others in the crowd as well. And we know that the Pharisees and the teachers have come because Jesus is a threat to them. We'll talk, talk about that again later. But here, here you have this picture. It's a crazy scene, right? I just want to stop and set the scene for us for a minute. It's a crazy scene because you've got Jesus has come back to Capernaum. People find out he's there. The Pharisees and the scribes, they come, and they're, they're filling the house. I'll tell you why we we'd say that later. They're, they're filling the house where Jesus is teaching, okay? Now you have these four friends who are like, hey, Jesus, the new rabbi, the teacher's here. He's been doing these great things. Let's get our friend to him. And so these four guys, along with the, the paralyzed man, come together. They come to, um, come to the house. And now first picture this from the outside. You come up to the house and you want to go into the house right? There's a crowd of people outside. Mark tells us that the door was crowded. The door was full. Um, there's a crowd, and you, you, when, have you ever tried to walk through a crowd just by yourself, like a really big crowd? You're trying to walk through, and you know, if you're trying to even walk with someone else, it's like they're, they're kind of following you, like my children. I have them right here, so I'm clearing the path for them. You know, and you hear this when they were little, and you're trying to, to work through there. Well, they come up, and you can just see the crowd, like, no, 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 no. stop, stop. Hey, we're, we're trying to hear what Jesus is saying. So they go around to a window, and they try to get in, no, no, you, you, you can't, you know, you get back up, you can't get in here. Try to go in another window, you can't get in here. So most of the houses in that day had, roof, uh, had stairs on the outside that led to the roof. Whether there were stairs or not, they somehow got this guy to the roof. They get to the roof. They dig a hole in the roof, into the dirt roof. They dig a hole, and I just imagine the first guy kind of looking through the hole like, Hey, there's Jesus. All right, now, change the scene for a minute. Now you're inside, standing from Jesus' position. Okay, this is easy for me, maybe easier for me um, than than some of you, because I see this kind of thing every week or every time I preach, right? So Jesus is standing there, and you kind of have a rustling over here, and you see some people kind of moving. It's because they're coming up to the window trying to get in, but nobody's letting them get there. There's some, some stuff going on, just kind of a mumbling and then all of a sudden, the mumbling kind of shifts over here because they're trying to get in there over here, you know, and it's just, just trying to get in. And then, okay, that quiets for a minute, continue to teach. And as they dug a hole in the roof, what do you think happened? Yeah, dirt starts falling, right? Stuff's falling down. And the Pharisees, I think, were probably pretty annoyed as they're sitting there listening. Would y'all right here be annoyed if dirt started falling on your head? Of course, right? It's it's a distraction, it's a noise. You're looking around, what is going on here? I set the stage because it's kind of crazy. And then a man's lowered down um, right in front of Jesus. You're here, the Pharisees are there trying to catch Jesus, trick Jesus. And now this man comes down (laughs) and is laid before him. But the central point of the passage, I think, is verse 20. All right, so in verse 20. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. We know he's not just talking about the the faith of the paralytic because it's plural. I think he's talking about the faith of the four friends and the paralyzed man. They don't fully get it yet. But they have faith to know Jesus is where they need to go. Your sins are forgiven you. I think that was an unexpected response to everyone who was there. The paralytic, the four friends, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And as Jesus says those words, it means something different to each situation. And what I want to do is, is look at what it means what, and what that reveals about our needs what that reveals about our sins, our struggles, and the hope that we find in Jesus alone. So what do we learn from it? Again, this is going to be our three points today. Okay, what do we learn from it? First thing I think we learn from the story is that we need Jesus. That seems simple. Let's talk about it a minute. Verse 18 says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Obviously, the paralyzed man had a physical need. But Jesus' response to him shows he had a much deeper need, and that was a spiritual need. This man could not help himself physically. He could not help himself spiritually. But think about here's this poor, paralyzed man laying before Jesus. His friends probably convinced him to come with, or maybe he wanted to come because of the stories he had heard. Jesus is here. Jesus can heal me. I want to get to Jesus. I know that I need Jesus. And then Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. I don't think he came to get his sins forgiven. And I think there may have even been a part of a, are you kidding me? Jesus. Jesus. says, your sins are forgiven. And, and the man's probably like, yeah, okay, um, so, but can you help me with my problem? You know, like this man, we think that if we could walk again, everything would be fine from now on. And when I say walk again, insert whatever it is that's troubling you. If I could get my job situation worked out, if I could solve the issues in my marriage, if I could get my wayward children to return, if we could walk again, everything would be fine. But no physical condition, no no material prosperity is more important than a relationship with God. This man was in a position that showed that he needed Jesus as the source of help in this situation, as the source of hope in this situation. He had been humbled. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. For Jesus to heal the man's body would have made him more comfortable, but it wouldn't have gotten to the need he really had. You see, if he had healed that man, what would have happened in five years, ten years, thirty years? If he had healed the man physically but not forgiven his sins, what would have happened? Eventually he would have died, and eventually he would have faced his real need. And that was that his sins had not been forgiven. And y'all, it's not popular in the Christian world today to talk about this. But without our sins forgiven, that leads to judgment. That leads to God's wrath and separation from him. And I share that with you not because I'm excited about it, but because that's heartbreaking. And we don't want that for anyone. You see, forgiveness of sins is not just this little tag-on option. Often we're kind of like, let me come to Jesus, let me get all this other stuff resolved. Oh, great, he also forgave my sins. And I know it's hard sometimes for us to really believe that he has forgiven us like he says he has. When I was looking ahead to this series about a month, well, about five weeks ago, I think, I asked um, Peter Rhoda if he would be willing to share his story from Good Friday last year. And he told me, I'd, I'd love to do that, Tim. Well, Peter, if you don't know, um, about three weeks ago now, um, was promoted to heaven and so I'm going to do the best I can to share this for him because he was so excited to tell you. Good Friday service, if you don't know, is often more reflective, um, often more thinking about our sin, even more thinking, working through those things um, and rejoicing in Easter's coming and, and Jesus to come. And so as we went through that service, I see a man and I'm, I, mean, I vividly remember where he's sitting. He's sitting right back here. And I see a man sitting here, and he was sitting with John Shudders, who, um, who was um, a roommate for years. He's sitting back there. John had had us praying for Peter for years. I'd never met him. But as I was teaching, as I was preaching, I looked back, and I see this man, and he went from kind of a frown on his face to a little bit of a, huh. You could see a little bit of the confusion And then there were just tears. And when the service was over, he comes, I'm walking off of here. He's coming up this aisle. He meets me right here. And he drops to his knees with his hands up. And he said, Tim, is that really for me? You don't know what's going on in my life. Can he really forgive me? Are you sure? Yes, Peter. Yes, Peter. And we've had the joy and privilege to see him grow in that faith over the last year. I wish he could have told you. But you know what? He's got it way better now. Jesus does. God does deal with those other things in our lives. God does care about redeeming your marriage. God does care about the pain and the hurt that you're going through. That's why God has given us um, each other, but that's why God has given us good, trained Christian counselors and professionals who can help us in those things. But I want you to understand that the primary thing we need is for our sins to be forgiven. Because it's when our sins are forgiven, when we understand that we are truly, and we can, we can begin to believe that, that we truly have been forgiven, we are in a better place to deal with those other things as we are sons and daughters of God. Second thing we learn from this story is that like the friends, we need to take others to Jesus because we know they need him too. Back to verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with, with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. Did you didn't notice something about these four friends? A couple things. One, no name is given here for any of these friends. is that? Because it's not important. No name's given. They're not fighting or arguing or grumbling. Nobody's saying, hey, let me be in front carrying the stretcher because I want somebody to get a picture of me. We know that they were motivated by their friend's physical need, but they knew where they needed to get him. They knew they needed to get him to Jesus, and they knew that they needed to get him there with some urgency. How do we know that? Well, if you're carrying a man on a stretcher, it had been a lot easier to get him there after the crowds had dispersed, right? No, they're trying to do everything they can to get him to Jesus including getting him on a roof and digging a hole in the roof to, get it to, to drop him down, to not drop him, lower him down. They were persistent. They did whatever it took. You know, often when we think about getting our friends to Jesus, it's kind of a, well, we had, the, we had a conversation they kind of they rejected it, so I'm not going to keep. I, I I don't I don't want to keep doing that. Maybe it's because it's uncomfortable. Maybe there's all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's because we just think well, we don't want to be a bother. But they were persistent in getting him to Jesus. And then I want you, also want us to notice that it took a team effort. It took a community. You know that the average amount of people, uh, or the average. Yeah, amount of people interacting with someone, talking about Jesus it takes for for someone to come to faith, it's like six or seven, right? And that's not including the people who who weren't talking, but who were coming alongside in the time of need, who were smiling, who were caring for, who were walking alongside, all all those things. It is a team effort. Y'all, all of us are on that team. You know what's really cool? is that half the time we don't even know we're on that team with a certain person. And we don't have to because it doesn't matter. Because it's not about us. It's about what God's doing. But it all, almost always takes more than one person in someone's life. The third thing I want us to see uh, today is that Sometimes we prevent others from getting to Jesus. Now, I'll go ahead and say this. I don't think we do that intentionally. So let me go ahead and lay that out there. I don't think we intentionally do that. But let me show you what I mean by by showing you what the Pharisees um, are doing here. Because I think sometimes we prevent others from getting to Jesus first because we want the glory. Let me, let me show you. Um, verse 17, one of those day, on one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So Jesus' teaching is recognized as new. Jesus' teaching is recognized as different. He's, he's the new rabbi, the new teacher in town, right, in the region. And so people want to hear what he's saying. It's different than what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are saying. It's 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 already accompanied by signs and things going on. What's going on here with this Jesus? And these people came, and the passage tells us specifically, they came from different regions, and it tells us where they came from. And some were traveling up to 120 miles, four or five days journey, to get there for this, to get there, to, to, to hear Jesus, because they realized this popularity spelled trouble for them. And so they were there to pass judgment on him. They were there, undoubtedly, I think, to decide what course of action they were going to take to deal with this threat. That would have been a pretty large group. Like, you think about it like a delegation, right? This, this pretty large group gathered from all sorts of regions that are there, they're the ones filling up the house. Now, it's also interesting because he says, and I read one, one pastor on this, that I would have not have noticed that... the All those um, Pharisees and teachers of the law, it says, are sitting there. Why is that significant? Because in the culture, the one sitting, the teacher is the one who would sit. The one with authority is the one who would sit. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law instead are the ones who are sitting. They're trying to say, no, you don't have the authority. We're here to check you out, to hear what you're doing. They wanted the glory. And by their being there, by their sitting there, they're keeping others from getting to Jesus. As individuals, as a church, listen to me closely, okay? Anytime that we find ourselves being about our own glory, we are preventing people from getting to Jesus. When we make it about us, in those moments that it's about us, it cannot also be about Jesus. You know, we like to mix that stuff together. Well, I mean, it's about, it's about it, it, yeah, I'm promoting, I'm talking about me and what I'm doing, but, it, but it's really about Jesus, It can't be both at the same time. It is about Jesus. The second reason we prevent others from getting to Jesus is when we struggle to understand the uniqueness of Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, they don't get it. In fact, his claims make them angry. But he is unique. Jesus isn't simply one of many options. We see that through what he's really saying to the Pharisees. So let's go back to verse 21 through 24. And the scribes and the Pharisees began began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The Pharisees are infuriated right now. Why is that? Because they think Jesus is speaking blasphemy here when he tells the man that his sins are forgiven. They, they, can't, they can't handle it because they know that when Jesus is saying that, Jesus is claiming that he is God. We can miss that sometimes, that, that that's ultimately what he's claiming. But they know what he's saying. And he knew they would grumble. And he, and, he's, and, they, and he knew they would ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does this guy, this new teacher... This this young whippersnapper think he is. Does he think he's the Messiah, the Savior? Is that who he thinks he is? They don't see his uniqueness. And verse 22 says he perceived their thoughts. In the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, Matthew 9 and Mark 2, it says, one of them says that Jesus knew their thoughts or that he perceived the thoughts they had within themselves. They They weren't saying these things out loud, so to speak. Jesus knew. Jesus perceived them. He was reading their minds. And so he says, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you or to say rise and walk to a paralyzed man? I'm going to tell you something. If a paralyzed man was laying here right now, from a human standpoint, my answer to that question would be, it is a whole lot easier for me to look at that man and say, your sins are forgiven, than it is for me to look at that man and say to a paralyzed man, rise, take up your mat, and walk. Y'all understand that'd be harder, right? But what Jesus is saying is, no. To tell this man to rise and take up his mat and walk, I'm the God who made time stand still. I'm the God who spoke everything into existence. I'm the God who parted the Red Sea to deliver a people, etc. To say, get up and take up your mat and walk, that's the easy stuff. To say, your sins are forgiven, that's hard. Why is it hard? Because for me, Jesus, to say, your sins are forgiven... Jesus knew that his life had to be perfect. Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross to pay the penalty for the very sins he was forgiving. To say your sins are forgiven costs something. The life of Jesus himself. It's why in the garden, Jesus said, Father, if it it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He prayed in an agony. To say your sins were forgiven was harder. But forgiveness of sins, that was the real miracle. That was the lasting miracle. The other just would fix something here on this earth for a little while. That fixed things forever. And then Jesus says, But, verse 24, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, and he tells the guy, Take up your mat and walk. That Son of Man phrase, this is a phrase that is used, Jesus uses of himself over 80 times. Must be important, right? Not a son of man, the son of man. And what he's quoting from there, what, he, what he's saying there, that these Pharisees and scribes would understand, he's quoting back from Daniel, the book of the, the prophet Daniel, where Daniel says, one coming like the son of man, is where he talks about the ancient of days. He's, he's looking back there. They would know that he is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. To claim to be God To claim to be able to forgive sins, that would have required stoning in the law. But see, now, he says, but just so you know that I have this authority, take up your mat and walk. You see, now they're in a problem. Jesus does the easy thing, spoke the word, healed the man. It was obvious to them then that God's power was present because the man had been healed. If Jesus were speaking blasphemy by forgiving the man's sins, then then they couldn't rightly then also say, they they couldn't explain if that was blasphemy, then why would God have given him the power to, to heal the man? And so they were stuck. Jesus used a miracle to prove his claim to have authority to forgive sins. His power in the visible realm over paralysis established his authority in the spiritual realm to do the very thing he had just done. When we try to water that down, we are keeping people from Jesus even when we don't mean to. When there's something in God's word we don't understand, don't try to explain it away. Study it. Talk to others about it. Seek to grow in it. Don't keep people from Jesus by just trying to make it make sense to you. Simply. Jesus is the one worth taking people to. Where are you taking your friends, your family, the people in your lives? I want to give you just a few minutes as we prepare for communion. And I want to encourage you to just think through specifically the last part um, of the sermon. And are there places uh, right now, just ask the Lord, when I say think through, pray. Ask Him, Lord, are there places where I am about my glory and that is keeping people from Jesus? Or Are there places where I'm not truly believing and resting in the uniqueness of who you are and that that's keeping people from Jesus? So I want to just ask you to do that. And then also, there may be those of you in here who are just questioning these things. And I'd ask you just to spend this time asking God to show you that your greatest need is Jesus. And after a few minutes, I'll bring us back together and we will actually uh, confess a corporate prayer together. So um, take this time before the Lord. Now I would ask that you look up with me and that we confess together um, our sin. Let's read this out loud. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have sinned against you more times than we can count and been guilty of pride and unbelief, neglecting to see you each day. Our sins present us with a list of accusations, but we thank you that they will not stand against us because they have been laid on Jesus, our Savior. Lord, You are full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. There is always forgiveness with you. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken. Give light to our minds, strength to our wills, and rest to our souls. Deliver us from every evil habit, every interest of former sins, everything that dims the brightness of your grace in us, everything that prevents us from taking delight in you, everything that prevents us from bringing others to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've confessed these things both both privately and together, then hear this assurance that though we have sinned, We have forgiveness of sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As those who have come in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. You are his son. You are his daughter. So, Lord, as we come now to your table, um, Lord, we come as those who have acknowledged our sin, We come as those who acknowledge that our greatest need is you, Jesus. And so we pray that you would take these ordinary things, this bread and this cup, and Lord, we ask that through them, Lord, you would declare over your people, Lord, yes, in our minds, but also by your grace in our hearts, that this is real, that we have been forgiven, and that you would... Help us, Lord, teach us to walk in the newness of life that you've given us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Have a great week.